wasn't Daniel and his friends, weren't they told they needed to be another certain way? And how did they push back? They said, well, can we do a test on the results? Let's do a three week test and see if this, and they just met, you measure us and you tell us what you see in the results. And if you think a change is warranted here. So I think there's a biblical model for how to push back when someone's asking you to be something that may or may not actually help. Welcome to the Resilient Faith at Work podcast, where you will find and apply God's wisdom to your work. I'm Dr. Chip Roper, and I'm joined by Ken Kennard and Sarah Evers. We aim to inspire, challenge, and equip you to follow Jesus in the vocational dimension of your life. As we begin this episode, I want to thank our generous donors who make this podcast possible. We are grateful for your support. VOCA funders sign up to change lives by changing work. And if you like this content and want to partner with us to reach more workers, invest in VOCA. Just go to vocacenter.org give and join us today. Today uh, on the Resilient Faith at Word podcast and webinar, we're talking about women at work. And um, you know, every year we do a study on the dilemmas that people are, are facing in their work because we want to bring God's wisdom to the top of mind challenges that we all deal with in our careers. And um, we decided that it would be good to see if there's a difference between the way the general population is experiencing work and the way women are experiencing work. And um, so we ran a second, second study last spring, and um, we have the results of that that we want to kind of walk through a little bit uh, in this podcast. And uh, so we're going to talk about what we found and uh, explore what we think some of the, mean, the, you know, the, the takeaways might be from some of those things. And then uh, as we continue to digest this data and have this conversation, which is one that we all have all quite a bit um, internally, uh, we'll, we'll put out other resources uh, for women uh, in particular as we, as we process what we've learned. Um, you know, as we begin, before we get to the data, I just, I wanna talk a little bit about why this is a personal, this connects, how this connects with us personally. Um, and I, I grew up in a boy family. It was just, it was my dad, my brother, and I, and my mom. So she was, by, she was definitely left out. It was a young boys club. It was not an old boys club, <laughs> but it was kind of a boys club. And, um, and uh, she seemed to roll with that uh, pretty well. And um, she was tough, you know, she didn't, she'd just tell you to stop crying and, you know, unless there was blood and that kind of stuff. Um, and then as I, um, as I, you know, I got married and I have, I have three kids and they're all girls. And um, as I started to think about my girls and the world they were growing up in um, and the opportunities I wanted for them, um, this whole issue of, of, of gender and how genders are treated in different settings um, really started to bubble up you know, come up to the surface for me um, as something that was important and, you know, things are not necessarily right here in this space. And uh, as some of you know, I was a pastor for a while and um, I was actually a real advocate for having women in leadership, which is still a contentious issue um, in, in the faith world. And, um, and you know, people left our church because of, of where I was on that. So this, this connects with me at a bunch of different levels, and um, and and then of course uh, some of my clients are females, and they they are struggling sometimes with some of the very issues that we point up in this. But Ken and Sarah, I just wondered, like you know, just the topic, just the headline, 
what's it stir up for you as we jump in? Yeah, well, for me, uh, I, it just brings up memories of what it was like growing up in a household that was very balanced. Two boys, two girls, a mom, a dad. And I still remember the day my, we had a family conversation about mom going back to work. Um, and we were very used to mom being in the home, uh, took care of everything, cooked all the meals, you know, swept us off to school in the morning and was there when we were coming back in the afternoon. And the family wanted to discuss what would it be like for mom to make this change and go back to work. She was going to have to get her master's degree in the evenings by going to classes. She was going to start a counseling practice. And I remember having mixed feelings about mom going to work. Um, you know, on the one hand, um, I felt like there would be a loss for us when she wouldn't be so available. And how was I going to get my dinner if mom wasn't there to cook it for me? Um, that didn't seem very fun. Um, and yet, on the other hand, even as a young teenager, I remember thinking, you know, there's part of me that wants to work and wants to make an impact on the world and wants to help other people by using some skill or talent. And I thought that maybe that was true for my mom. And I didn't see her that way initially, but maybe it was true for her that she wanted to have an impact in the world. She wanted to have her strengths and talents used beyond just making my lunch and sweeping me off to school. And I thought if that was true, um, it would be a shame not to, for her to have some way to, to use that. So that was my ambivalence about it at the time. Hmm. Interesting. That's cool. How old were you when that happened? Ken? I was a young, young teenager. I would say maybe freshman in high school, somewhere around that age. That doesn't sound ambivalent. It sounds astute to me to be that self-aware of what is driving you and to wonder if that's also driving your mom. Well, I say ambivalent because I really didn't want her to go out to school <laughs> and leave the family <laughs> and spend time away from me, Sarah. It's all about me. Yeah, he, he still wanted to be taken care of is really what he's saying. Yes. Yeah, I get it. Okay. Okay. So don't give yeah. him too much credit. I was, But yeah. I was thinking it's pretty sophisticated thinking for a, whatever, 13 to 14 year old. Yeah. You know, for me, I am a woman. And so when I see things that say like women at work or what women want at work, um, my interest is, is piqued and I'm curious, what do others think I want? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm part of that population and um, have been part of that population my whole life. Um, and I think back to my, you know, my career, I've had several um, inventions of myself as a, as a working woman. And Part of that was in uh, the faith-based nonprofit world. And, you know, there are pockets of that that are difficult for a woman leader. And the way that I'm designed, um, I, I don't fade into the background. I tend to rise to leadership quickly. And in that organization I was with, they gave me lots of opportunities at a young age to lead. I'm very, very thankful for that. Um, and then there, are, there were pockets that I would run into where there would be resistance that there's almost a struggle that the very presence of me caused a problem uh, for other people. So it's a strange place to be in, in the, in the faith world, a place where you think there would be a lot of freedom and encouragement. And, um, but there were some hard, I, I'm still, I still have some wounds from that. And I think that my, um, at that time, my contemporaries in the, in the marketplace were also running into some challenges and difficulties. And I would talk with my friends about some of the the things we were bumping up against at work. 
Uh, and now that I'm, I'm out of that arena and I'm, I'm in this marketplace and I'm, I'm coaching women and coaching women in the C-suite, I'm, I'm still hearing that there are, are challenges that women are facing that men don't face. Um, so I'm really I'm excited about this topic. I'm curious about it. And I, I can't wait to see where our conversation goes. Yeah, great. All right. Well, it's important. It's personal. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's and it's uh, and it's real. I mean, there's there's stuff going on. So let's uh, let's just look through some of the data here, and we'll stop along the way. Um, first of all, over half the workforce is women, fifty-two percent. Um, and I mean, we know some other things like more women are graduating from college than men. Um, there's a bunch of other kind of stats on that. So they're they're filling in. Like they're taking seats and not taking like taking away, but they're just filling in. They're getting seats in lots of all the professions like that. There's not really like that same. Uh, there's not maybe as much of a barrier in terms of entry to a lot of a lot of fields like there used to be maybe 50 years ago. So that's that's changed. Some would, you know, a lot of us would say that's progress. Uh, but it's interesting. Like women, there's more women in the workplace than there are men, and um, yeah. so that's a that's a that's a huge shift actually culturally. Um, like mom going back to work, Ken, your story, like that's actually not the normal story. Like the normal story is women are at work and, and that's, that's just the way, that's the way our culture is. And that's, 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 so this is, that's another, it just tease up why this is important. Like this is, this is a common experience. Um, and the first thing we actually asked women, uh, was what are your sources of joy at work? Um, what gives you a sense of you know, agency and satisfaction at work. And the number one thing is making an impact. It's the sense that through what I do on the job, uh, it's making a difference and usually in the lives of others and in some way or another. And I think um, it's really interesting, Ken, what you said, that in your 14-year-old brain, the idea that mom should be able to use her talents to, you know, impact the world. I mean, that's the same women enjoy work and they enjoy this idea that this is a channel for them to, to shape the world. And, um, which is, is not some of the, I mean, I, it's not the old narrative of, well, the family needs some extra money. So mom's got to go to work. That's not that narrative at all. It's like the statistic was high. It's almost 65%. It's, it's no, I enjoy work. I mean, work is a place where I use my talents and I, and I, have skills and I have competency and it's, and I, and I, you know, I put a dent in the world, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun place to be. So that was the top thing. And a couple others are culture and but was the 35% that get joy from culture, meaning the community that works together uh, and the relationships that come from that. And then just specific technical elements of the job uh, came in number three at 26, almost 27%. And so, I don't know, it just seems like, not a surprise, but, well, it is a, this is the surprise to me. We all complain about work. Work is a four-letter word, and um, there's lots of studies about, for everybody, and for, for and female-focused studies, too, that, you know, what, what's wrong with work and that kind of thing. But there's a, there's a component or elements of work that women really love, and they, they love to work, and, and they love parts of it that it's satisfying. And uh, not 100%, but there's some good things happening at work for women. Absolutely. One of my clients just this week told me, Sarah, work is my happy place. 
and mm. um, she's married with children, and um, she's the breadwinner in the family. They depend on her income. She was also a caretaker for ailing um, in-laws and parents, um, and so for her, work is a place of significance. It's a place of meaning. It's a place of making, uh, of making an impact and making things better. In fact, the work that she's chosen um, and the the way that she exercises it is to make the world a better place. Um, she's in a, yeah. So. Absolutely. Women want to make a difference. Um, our research shows that. The research that I've read on this on this topic shows that too. And in work is a happy place. It's hmm. interesting. Yeah. And Chip, just to uh, clarify, you know, you said that, uh, you know, the norm is that women want to make an impact, not just to go, you know, make some money for the family. I think for our, in our case, way back then, I know this was a long time ago and every case is different. So this is not you know, survey results, but I think making money for the family was a significant part of my mom's motivation as well. Um, you know, growing up with a four, four kids to feed and, and, you know, my dad's nonprofit children's ministry salary, not being, uh, you know, on the, in the top 10%, can we say that? Um, <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and, uh, and also just this sense of, you know, security and wanting to have long-term, um, a little bit more long-term stability and security for the family. I think it's all part of it. But um, to your point about the the research and, and making an impact in culture, I I was surprised that culture was number two here. Um, and I think that I've just underestimated the impact of the cultural shift that's happened as our families have become much more isolated from each other. Our extended families have been more disconnected, not more connected over time. I'm thinking back to the age when the parents and the grandparents were all, if they're not in the same family, they're certainly near each other. And you've got this multi-generational connectedness and culture where that becomes your big culture. Well, today, who's your culture? Who are your friends? Who are the, who, where's your sense of belonging? I'm mm -hmm. seeing increasingly uh, in places like Silicon Valley in New York, but even other places that the people you work with are the people you play with. And you know yeah. the, the workplace becomes a place where they feed you and you do all your fun stuff and they bring in the rock climbing gym and they bring in the, you know, the, the fun activities. And pretty soon that's what other culture do you have? It can even become your church as you learn in our culture to worship work. Well, yeah. and Ken, to your point, as church attendance drops, people are looking for ways to be connected in their community. Um, and so connecting at work becomes your community. That, that, that culture was the whole idea was your relational connection. So I, I agree with what you're saying and um, I want to double click on it because there is that issue. We're not engaging in our communities anymore. And so our, our social outlet becomes work. And we've even joked about um, work husbands and work wife, right? We have our work family and we spend the best hours of our day at work. So it really, like the, the idea of having your relational community, um, cultural needs met and that sense of belonging, I mean, that is, that's one of the big things men and women, anybody wants out of their workplace is a, is a sense of belonging and being part of something bigger. So yeah, I, that, uh, I appreciate how you drew out that culture was second um, as opposed to being even higher. It is interesting. I mean, I think you guys are pointing out there's a bit of a dark side to that. Like, is it taking over? Um, but I also wonder, I think, you know, if you rewound 200 years, um, you live with the people near the people you worked with, like you all worked on the farm or, you know, what, like you're all, it was all kind of, it was a bit more, it wasn't, you didn't go off to work. Yeah. 
you know, you, you, where you lived was where you worked and where you worked was where you lived. And so, and that's the way human history was for most of the time. And sailors spent all, most of their time together and, um, you know, soldiers spent a lot of their, most of their time together. Like that, that we really just hmm. zoom back, you know, we see that there were always, there always was uh, a sense of community and then we separated it and we mechanized it in the industrial revolution. And, and in some ways um, we're kind of coming maybe back to a little less, of a separation there, and um, and at least, especially hmm. and here we have it, you know, in terms of for women, it's like that working community dynamic is really important, um, yes. and it's an important part of the work. It's important for men too, I, I think they, but they may not be as they may not be as aware of it. Uh, I don't know, uh, but it's an interesting thing. The other the other thing on this on this score was that faith in work uh, was number four as a source of joy, like seeing work as a as an avenue for expressing your faith. And I think, you know, I'm not actually, I don't, I'm not particularly concerned about that coming in forth. Uh, even though we're a faith in work, we fit into that general mm-hmm. category. Cause I think that, you know, having an impact by using your God given talents, that is faith in work. Like it'd be great if it was conscious in a person's mind, but, and I think that's where there's some upside potential and a lot of people I talk like there's growth potential in that it could be conscious but it's the work itself like the work itself has value uh and God's plan for the world faith and work is not separate from the actual work you have to do and so I to me that's 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 I think that's maybe it's actually good that it's not a separate category as much in this data any thoughts on that guys before we move on I want to I want to jump back to the culture thing though because I was just okay as we were talking about the culture and, and Ken was sharing and I was listening to you, Chip, my mind started thinking about how um, our survey results support um, the fact that work culture is really significant and that companies and organizations really need to take stock of the kind of culture that they're creating uh, as they're, because it influences their ability to attract great talent and to retain good talent. So organizational culture matters it is a source of great joy for the 35% of the women who responded to our survey. So I, work culture matters. That, that stuck out to me. Well, it does matter, and that leads us right into challenges. So thank you for that An amazing setup. Um, for you podcast listeners, Sarah just gave me a very nice wink right now. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> so... Because we, we, we asked sources of joy. That now that the next category was like, what are some of your biggest challenges? We call them dilemmas uh, a lot here at Boca. And the number one challenge was culture. And it was almost 50% listed something that had to do with culture. And it's a broad category. I mean, it, it certainly includes things like, you know, overt discrimination based on gender or other categories, um, you know, old boys club dynamics and those things were explicitly said by our respondents like those are real barriers that women face at work um but it's also broader it's it gets into things like you know leadership just a general leadership effectiveness and communication the way the lines of communication among leaders and 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 the way organizations are run and so um culture was the number one challenge uh that women face and when we looked at the actual things that they wrote in um, you know, it's, it's feeling like I'm not valued. I'm not seen. There's a, there's like a, there's a secret pecking order here that I really can't break into. Um, 
you know, there's outright sex. There's, there's like sort of low level sexism that's tolerated all the time. It's not, it's not explicit and egregious enough to get people fired, but it's real. You know, like, and, and, and there's just so numbers and numbers of these kinds of comments, uh, that, that they were, they were facing. So let's just stop right there because we've got some other things that they said are challenges, but, um, and, you know, they, they do, leadership comes in number four, and they're obviously connected, especially with that comment, Sarah, you just made, you know, leadership shapes culture, like, you can't really separate them very much, but, um, you know, I, I think, you know, it's 2022, and um, we've been talking about this stuff a lot, and, the, like, and it's, you know, in, in mainstream business press, like, for instance, like, the Wall Street Journal um, would be we'd be officially and editorially against anything that was discriminatory. I mean, it's not like they're so like, that's where we're supposed to be, but we're not there. And like, you know, Sarah, you were mentioning some of your clients, um, earlier and I have the same experience. Like I have clients that are, it's not a, just a vibe, like they have stories and, yeah. you know, just like when we've talked about race, like when you really start to meet somebody from a different race and you talk and they start to tell you their story, you realize, Oh, this isn't like, this isn't something they were fed by like some some narrative that that was in in the obscure press somewhere. This is the lived experience that they've had at work for the most part. So let's yeah. let's talk about this cultural piece a little bit. Yeah, I think this is a significant one, and I'm not I'm not surprised at it based on conversations mm. I've had simply with my clients. Not even talking about my own experiences or uh, conversations with friends and family members, but. I think of um, a client who came to me several years ago because the feedback she got from her CEO was that she needed to be more alpha. She's a member of the C-suite. She's the only woman in the C-suite. Uh, she was one of three women uh, between the board and the C-suite when they would have their regular board meetings. Uh, and as we dove into that, uh, what I discovered about her is she's a very direct communicator. There is no fluff about her. Um, she is kind and warm, but uh, I'm, I'm really not sure what the alpha was. We would talk through her, the presentation she would make to the board. She'd show me the slides. We'd talk through it. She's a clear, straight shooter. So I'm not sure what the whole comment was about being more alpha. When she pressed the CEO, what does that look like? What does that mean? He didn't have anything to follow it up with it. So what she's experiencing is that her leadership style doesn't look like his or doesn't look the way he wants it to or look like some of the other people. She, um, so what she's dealing with is the first woman on the team. Um, she's dealing with this um, expression of her leadership not looking like other people's. Um, but it's, right, and so that, that kind of feedback, be more alpha, isn't helpful um, and it's expecting women to lead in a in a specific way. Um, so, so women get that yeah. kind of feedback all the time. Be more alpha. Be tougher. Interesting. Yeah, I, had a, I have a friend that she was told the same thing. She was actually told the reason she wasn't promoted is because she wasn't alpha enough. And um, and this may be an interesting an interesting because one of the things we have, we have data here, but we also want to try and get to like, well, what do you do with all this? Mm -hmm. um, so she pushed back. Said, why do I need to be more? What, you know, why do I need to be more alpha? And she kept pointing to her performance, mm -hmm. which was great. Yes. Right. So like, um, and she was in a field where performance is really clearly measured, and, and so that made it a little bit more. It was easier to make that case. But she's basically like, "You're telling me I need to be more alpha, but my performance is great." And so, by pushing back 
and and saying, look, my leadership style, whatever whatever non alpha enough means, my leadership style is effective, and uh, she gets promotion. Um, so I don't know. Like we could say, well, she shouldn't have to do that, and that's true. But so I struggle with that. Like, well, there's a lot of things, you know. But at least she found a way forward. So I, I don't. I don't know how that lands on well, you guys. Well, and, and there's a biblical model for that, Chip. It wasn't wasn't Daniel and his friends, weren't they told they needed to be another certain way? And how did they push back? They said, well, can we do a test on the results? Can we just do like yeah, a... That's interesting. Let's do that's a three-week test and see if this... And just me, you measure us and you tell us what you see in the results and if you think a change is warranted here. So I think there's a biblical model for how to push back when someone's asking you to be something that may or may not actually help. Or maybe it's yeah. against who you really are. Um, why, why, <laughs> why hire a, mo- a woman and ask her to be like a man? Is sort of the, what's going through my mind, because you're missing out on the advantages. Sarah, what do you think about like what advice do you give to uh, a friend or a client who's just bumping into a, you know, I mean, it can come in different different forms, but just a, it could be discriminatory. It could just be. It could, well, it could be out and outright sexist to that's like that's that's obvious to see to a point where it's just more like it's exclusionary in the sense that it's going to be very hard to have influence here as a woman. Like, how do you help clients deal with that challenge, that cultural challenge? Well, first, we need to take an audit. Right. So I, I talk with the women like the my client that I mentioned who reached out to me a couple of years ago because she was told to be more alpha. We had to do an audit. What did, what did that mean? Uh, what were the mm. leadership styles of those around her? What were their results? Um, and with this specific client, she was the only one delivering on her strategic plan. Everybody else was was failing uh, and not meeting expectations. So there is a there is a need to do an audit and figure out what is true, what is what is my personal experience, or what how might my relationship be with this one person who's giving me this one specific feedback influencing this? Um, what are the experience of others around me? And, um, and do other people see this? Uh, so with that specific client, um, I encourage her to reach out to the other women in the, in the board and ask them for some feedback uh, as a woman leader. What, what did they notice? Where could she tighten up? And it actually helped her foster a really healthy, supportive relationship with uh, some board members doing that. So part of it is figuring out, is this an offhand comment or is this culture? Uh, and, yeah. and, and when do I need to bring in um, some outside help, whether it's HR um, or whether it's um, having a mediation or having a coach to help me determine in my <laughs> what changes might be helpful for me to make. I think, and then you need to figure out, is this the right culture for you? But I think that's a last result. That's a, that's a last resort. Yeah. I mean, we don't, I mean, again, and, and we take the gender piece out of it. Um, we walk with lots of people who are facing toxic cultures in one way or another. Yes. And um, the instinct is to just go somewhere else. Um, and a lot of times, though, we don't really know how to even vet the next opportunity to make sure it's not worse. So that's you go from the frying pan to the fire, and we see that mm-hmm. in our clients, and we see that in the statistics, great resonation statistics. And the other assumption is just that you know, there's nothing to learn in hard things. And it's just the way I said it is, of course, tips to my yes. hat. But, you know, I mean, we see this in lots of uh, biblical biblical journeys of people. They went through hard things. And that's part of how God shaped them for the future. And, you know, there's there's just a 
for all of us who are surrendered to Christ and following him, nothing is wasted. And it's a promise we have to come back to. So you could be in a terribly uh, demeaning environment for you as a woman, but uh, doing the kinds of things you're saying, getting fact, you know, doing some fact checking, doing a listening tour, um, figuring out what's really going on, um, coming up with coping strategies to have an impact and show your impact. And, uh, and sometimes it's to be a little bit more assertive than you're comfortable yes. with. I think that that happens. And I see that with some of my, my clients too. Um, those are all good things to learn. Even if, you know, even if, you're not going to stay there forever. It's, and it is hard to change a culture, by yes. the way. The bigger, the bigger and longer it's been embedded, the, the harder it is to change. But you, you grow muscles. You grow immunity. You, know, you, you, you boost your, your vocational immune system uh, mm. when you deal with this kind of stuff. And, and, and so you surround yourself with support and wisdom, and you, you, you plow through it. How's that, how's that land on you guys? What do you think of that? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, as I hear Sarah talk, I think, wow, it sounds like you have to do all this extra work that shouldn't be required. Uh, why do you have to work so hard? Um, I've heard the same thing said of, of people when it comes to race discrimination. But then I also think of the flip side of that, like you're talking about boosting your immunity. What kind of wisdom could you gain from those interviews with women in the board or whatever? And I think you're only making yourself a more well-rounded uh, worker, possibly, and a better leader by doing some of that work. Um, do I wish it wasn't required? Yeah, but you know, yes. but, but in the fallen world, we all find we, we bump up against some of these things that we, um, you know, we, we can't change, but we can grow through and we can change because mm -hmm. of them. Yeah. And I think part of it is also learning how to draw, um, boundaries and teaching people how to interact with us. So you run into the bozo who treats you poorly and you have to draw firmer boundaries with that person to teach them how to uh, react, respond, and, and how to talk to you. So sometimes it's even figuring out what, what are the special boundaries in the season that I need to draw with that person who isn't, isn't healthy or isn't giving me healthy interaction. That's really good. That's really good. Um, yeah, so culture was number one. It's connected to number four, which is leadership. I just, a couple other ones that were big in the, in the findings. Well, balance, um, which we've talked about before, um, mm -hmm. work-life balance, which we don't even like the term. We like about we like to think how do you right-size work in the scope of your life because work is part of your life. Um, it's not your whole life, but it's part of your life. So they're not separate categories. And um, you know, and our and our and our our findings are like all the other findings on this yes. one. Uh, Women are working a lot, and they're take they're doing uh, more than their fair share of the work around the house, and so work life balance is um, more of a challenge for them, um, in a sense, you know, or at least at least they like they feel like they're juggling more uh, than their um, than their than their male counterparts on balance, and um, so that I think that's worthy of some conversation. The other one I'll just mention that I actually don't think is necessarily worthy of conversation for us is elements of the job came in number three, meaning, you know, it's it's the war for talent, it's the economy, it's that our our business is blowing up and it's huge and there's so much work to do and no, not enough people to do it, and that's a universal. Like we just see that post pandemic, once the once the economy switch got flipped back on in June of 2020. People who are, there's a lot of people who have just been working more and more than ever. And um, 
So that's, and work has become more challenging because of, we go from one challenge, we go from one constraint to a new one to a new one. And so that's, to me, that's a universal and doesn't, I'm not sure we need to talk that much about that one, but the balance one uh, and the unique, the unique piece of that, I think that's, um, that affects our female colleagues is probably worth some attention. Yeah, what comes to mind for me is that during the pandemic, you know, what was going on with the family was a big deal in work because all of a sudden work and family collided, right? I mean, I was talking to friends who were, yeah, like I, I was talking to friends who, you know, were working, female friends working, but the, also suddenly the kids are home all the time and they're now in this virtual school environment, which wasn't really successful or, you know, and who's filling in the gap while the kids are supposed to be learning, who's helping them learn? It's the mom who's supposed to be working with her own job in the next room. I mean, I don't know. That that to me was just a real... <laughs> well, I can tell you, it was a crazy maker in my family. My husband and I created a, a, a chart of, and we looked at who had appointments when. Our daughter at that time was in second grade, right? When the pandemic first hit, my daughter was in second grade. So we had to figure out who's going to help her get on her Zooms, who's going to help make sure she's doing some of the work and that she can read and write. Um, and it, I mean, it was a crazy maker. Our schedule, was, we had things that we would tape on the wall and every day we'd move them around. Who's got appointments when? I mean, I do not want to go back to those days ever. Yeah, I hear you. Well, I hear you. Um, yeah, and that's, I mean, but... But I guess I think that this is another one of those things where you think, well, it sounds like you and Mike, Sarah, you worked it out. Like, it's just, I don't know. I mean, well, this is not a marriage counseling session, but. Well, we're um, still married. You're still married. <laughs> yeah. But you, you viewed it as something we need to work out together. Um, is there a best practice in that? Like that when we think about this balance issue and how's that play out? What do you think? Well, I don't, I don't know if it's best practice all around, but uh, Mike and I have to have regular conversations about what our schedules look like and how do we how do we create the time for us to be together as a family when we both work jobs that sometimes can have non-traditional hours. My husband's a mental health counselor. He's um, a therapist. So sometimes he has to meet his clients in the evening. So there is, I think, communication, at least in our family, is the main key for us to figure out how do we keep that sense of family. Yeah. I really, I really feel like the, the 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 lack of community and the lack of being close to extended family is really, you know, biting our culture here because hmm. um, you, we've lost our buffer. We've lost our, you know, our our safety net of more people nearby that we love and trust, whether it's family or friends or you know. I don't know about your neighborhood, but I think our neighborhood and many others can feel kind of isolating. How close are you to the people that you're close to physically? <laughs> um, so I don't know. I mean, this is where the church also, I think, has an advantage over other social institutions. And it's been the buffer for many people, and it, and it can be. Mm. The family of God uh, steps in and... You know, I saw some really creative uses of time and space and technology during this time among um, some of our extended community. And I think that um, they did not suffer in the same way that others did through the last mm -hmm. few years because of it. Um, I'm seeing kids that have, yes, they've had a tr you know some downside to the pandemic, but they've actually thrived and, and survived in a, in a way that others um, haven't, so. Yeah, it's different, that's... the balance challenge. Go ahead, sorry, Sarah. Well, I was just thinking, I was going to go back to that balance 
issue as well, Chip, that, you know, the, our results that 36% of our respondents listed balance as the biggest challenge that mirrors almost to the decimal point. Um, other surveys that I've read on global women at work surveys and uh, US based women at work surveys. So the fact that almost one in three women would cite the biggest challenge in their in their life is that work life balance and trying to keep everything running and moving indicates regardless of communication or your setup or being connected to family, it, it is a real challenge that we have to figure out how to navigate. How, how do we take some of that pressure off of women? Because now in 2022, according to another survey, 53% of women say that their stress is higher now than it was during the pandemic. So we're supposed to be out of the pandemic, but half of women are feeling higher stress and 46% are burned out. So this idea of not enough balance, there's a lot happening at home, there's a lot happening at work, this means that this engine is constantly churning and we're, we're on a bad pace if over half the workforce of women, if half of them are feeling burned out. You know, in our, in our situation, we're, we're, think, we're looking at unwinding some, some unhealthy mm-hmm. or less than healthy pandemic work habits. So, Excellent. Uh, we shifted to working at home, um, and and then what happened was, and the and statistics bear this out: people who work from home work more hours, and uh, work all the time, and there's no break. You know, it's just it's just a you just go and touch your computer, and there you are, you're at work. It's on, and and you're at work, and um, so like my wife just rejoined a health club she used to go to before the pandemic. She's going to be going, you know, getting out of the apartment, going, because she's working from home all the time. And she says, but that's a pre-pandemic thing that was really great. Um, and it's like, we have to unwind. I think we've, I think that's, that might be the theme here on some of this is that uh, part of it is we don't have those habits of resilience. And we've talked about those in prior podcasts. Uh, mm-hmm. yes. We didn't, we didn't put them in place really as much. And um, we, we skimped on some of that stuff and we just worked all the time and drank more. Like that's the pandemic pattern uh, that I hear about everywhere. And, um, and then, so we've got to unwind some of that stuff. And it, the hard part about it is that, you know, your job has an insatiable appetite for you. Like it's going to, it's going to eat as much of you as you give it and more. And so uh, we've just gotten used to giving more. And so how to dial that back. You said boundaries. I think that's, like we know this is a challenge. It was our top challenge in our dilemma research. Like it was like in the '60s. So that was a you know cross gender uh, uh, survey. So this isn't going to go away. Um, I just you know I just wonder that. At least, and then we're doing a little like there's so many different there's so many different situations I think that women find themselves in. So you've got a single woman that may struggle with this in one way. You've got a married woman with kids, which is kind of a frame of reference that we're using. Um, but you got, you could have a, a single woman with kids who's that's this whole balance thing is totally different. She doesn't have a par- a partner to negotiate with. Uh, it's all on her shoulders. So it sort of spins out in different ways. Um, and, and yet some of those, some of this stuff just gets into, um, you, we, we all, all of us only have 24 hours and how are we going to manage it and how are we going to fill it? And, what are we going to neglect? Because uh, that's part of it—strategic neglect. Um, and how do we, 
how do we tame the beast, which is the job that just just wants more and more. I don't know. I, 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 I think there's more work for us to do on that and more strategies for us to, to uncover and share uh, in general on that. Yeah. Well, um, let's talk about what women want to hear more about. Like what, when we asked them, what do you want? Um, what did they, how did they answer that? And how does that compare to what they're dealing with or what they're experiencing in the survey, Chip? Uh, well, we had a surprise on this one. Uh, um, a pleasant one. The top thing, I'll just go through, like, I'll just read off the top five. So the top theme that they wanted to hear more about was faith and work, which, you know, came up fourth uh, in terms of a source of joy. And it didn't, it came up a very, very, very distant sixth as a challenge, like being a person of faith at work. But it's the number one thing they'd like to hear more about. Balance is, is like almost equal to the number of people that are challenged by it. So they're not quite a big surprise there. That's in the 30s, 32%. Uh, culture, navigating culture, again, 20, it's like 28%, 27%. Not a huge, you know, it's that there's a corollary there that makes a lot of sense. Skills is number four. Uh, actual specific skills that will help them be more effective at work. And then relationships was number five. Um, and navigating relational tension, I'm assuming is what that is. So this is interesting. Faith and work, number one. What do you guys make of that? Well... I think about our survey respondents were Christian women in the workplace. So in some ways, I think, well, did, did they say that because they feel like they have to because we're a faith and work organization who sent this out? Um, yeah. Because it didn't. They're leading you know, the witness. Right. <laughs> that's, one, that's one question I have. Yeah. Yeah. That's one possibility. Yeah. I think there's also something also that's different about faith from the other things. And you kind of touched on it, Chip, when you said all work is faith at work, right? Uh, and, and you know, faith in, it can influence all parts of this. So I think there's this sense in which people understand that if they had a better spiritual um, understanding and practice, that it would change the way work goes for them. And that there's wisdom to be had in uh, understanding God's perspective and being connected with him, um, being with him in some of the parts of the work that are challenging and joyful. Um, mm. And I think they see that, they recognize that. I also want to, so they see that there's a gap there that could be filled in with God's power and, and wisdom, but it's not being filled in by other sources in their life. I think that's mm -hmm. another thing that I wonder about this. I know that uh, some of our friends at Forward have found that, you know, in their research that women feel, professional women in particular, feel alienated from the church. Like, they just don't feel like their calling is validated, their their lifestyle is validated. I mean, by the fact, you know, they have to, they're getting on airplanes and they're traveling and they're doing all these things. And so, and they're not, they're not, they're just not getting it um, from the typical local church. I wonder if that's part of the, what's behind the statistic, too. Yeah, I, I, a lot of churches have wonderful activities for women who are home with kids. Uh, there aren't as many opportunities for working women uh, in most churches to find a sense of community um, and, and support. Yeah, and I, I mean, just, just take the typical, and this is true for men, some men, too, but the typical community group or small group, which is where the church, ha that's where you find community in a church. Mm -hmm. It meets during the week. And, you know, it's like, well, if you travel for your job, you're out. If you have a long commute, 
you're out. If you have kids in sports, you're out. Um, you know, if you're doing your job and trying to care for a parent, which is typically falls on the, the female partner, you're out. Like you're, you're, you're just excluded automatically by the logistics of it. And, um, it's, 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 and it's like, well, you know, I used to be a pastor, so I used to sit on that side of the desk. And then when I moved to New York, I was on, um, I was on a church board for a while and the pastor went to have our meetings like at 5.30 on a Monday night and none of us stopped working at 5.30 at New York. Like that's, you know, you're like, you're in your final lap. Like you're sprinting through the finish line at 6.30 or 7. And so we would come at, you know, we'd rush to get there and we're all hungry. And, and then we realized, well, he went home and he had dinner before the meeting and uh, and uh, we at least got him to buy us dinner, you know, um, <laughs> you know, to have dinner brought in for the. But he just was completely disconnected from, like, the typical professional rhythm. And it doesn't it doesn't have to be a white collar job, you know. Uh, construction workers get up at four in the morning and they work from, you know, six to six to two, six to three. They have a totally different rhythm. Um, and then you've got people in medicine and healthcare and they're working their 12 hour shifts and stuff. So anyway, there's just this lack of empathy and, and awareness of the lives of others and, and in the church sometimes, I think we all get stuck in our own bubble and, and, and that may be part of what's behind this statistic. Women are not finding validation for their work lives from their faith community. And, yeah. uh, it's a need and it's an opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, what's the church? I'm, I'm thinking, what's the church supposed to do? Like, you know, you, you've described someone who's basically unavailable for church activity. So, you know. Well, they're unavailable for typical traditional church activities. We live in a world where we can connect like this, like we're all virtually anytime, anywhere. So that's, it's, that's not really a good excuse. And I think a little bit of research on, you know, serve like time slots available and everything and, you know, I, I don't. I don't think it's. Um, I'm not sure it's rocket science. I think in business we call it just understanding the voice of the customer. Yeah, my new church, my new local church, they have a monthly women's gathering on a Saturday morning, in an effort to bring together um, working women and women who are um, at home, and women who, yeah, women to bring women together, um, and that's that's a it's a, considered a community group. And they bring us all together. And um, so I've really appreciated that about our, our new church, this effort to bring women of different life stages together. It takes effort. It does take yes. effort. Well, we plan to have more faith and work resources for women at work uh, as we continue to evolve and grow. And we've appreciated uh, the input that we've received in this, in this feedback. And, you know, we continue to work with our clients and, and want to help them be all that they are meant to be as well. Um, so thanks for joining us on this episode of the Resilient Faith at Work podcast. Ken and Sarah, thanks for a great discussion. And uh, we're, gonna keep, we're gonna keep at it. Take care. Thanks for listening. As we close this episode, I'm gonna use the H word, help. First, help us help you. Do you wanna grow in your effectiveness as a worker and a leader? Are you wondering if you're in the right job or career? Maybe you lead a team and wonder how to make that better. Go to vocacenter.org consult for an easy scheduling link and book your appointment with one of our great coaches today. We are ready to help you. 
second, help us help others. This podcast is brought to you by generous donors who change lives by changing work through their investment in VOCA. If you like this content and want to partner with us to reach more workers, donate to VOCA. Go to vocacenter.org give and begin your partnership today. We'll see you next time on the VOCA podcast, where we help you build resilient faith at work.